ICBC's pandemic payback. A one-time rebate check averaging about $190 per policyholder. The rebate checks for BC drivers and when they'll hit your mailbox. Canada jumps on the vaccine bandwagon. Regardless of what could happen in the future, uh, we will have domestic production. How a BC company is getting a better shot at success. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Months after it was first promised, BC drivers are getting a rebate from ICBC. Claims and crashes are both down due to the pandemic, and the public insurer is willing to hand back $190 on average to drivers. Now that it's no longer in the red, Richard Zussman has the details. Empty roads at the height of the pandemic, fewer crashes, injuries and claims, more money in ICBC's coffers. I know many of you who have been following these issues over the past number of years will be shocked to hear that rather than being in the red, uh, ICBC is in a favourable financial position. And that favourable position means British Columbia drivers are getting a COVID-19 ICBC rebate. The discount works out to about 19% of what drivers paid at the height of the pandemic. A total savings at ICBC of $600 million due to COVID and an average rebate of $190 to every policyholder. Based on the past three years of our experience working with ICBC, where there was such volatility on their financial position, we wanted to be absolutely clear we weren't doing damage to the corporation that has just turned itself around. The rebate will come by check in the mail. You don't need to register and won't come until mid-March. The discount only applies for policies between April 1st and September 30th. So if you changed or cancelled your policy during this time, it will have an impact. If you were partially uh, insured during that time, then it would be a partial um, uh, rebate coverage. Almost every other province in Canada gave out COVID-19 car insurance rebates in the spring. And in some cases, they were larger than the rebate here in BC. It's uh, quite late in the, in the program here when you look at uh, um, a lot of the insurance companies across Canada have already provided their rebates. ICBC says the pandemic led to 35% fewer crash claims. One expert says the province would have been better off keeping the money to ensure the dumpster fire was out for good. It's uh, good that their finances are in, in good shape, but it's uh, questionable whether they should be giving the money back or rebuilding their capital reserves. This is a one-time rebate. And don't get it confused with another ICBC rebate expected this summer to account for the change to a no-fault system this spring. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A long-time Delta politician is questioning the secrecy surrounding the hiring of a PR firm during a recent scandal involving the police chief's wife. Global filed a freedom of information request to find out how much the damage control costs taxpayers. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, it's tough to get answers. The Delta Police Department, like most other policing agencies, has a full-time media relations officer. But last year, they also hired a pricey public relations firm amid a scandal. Now they're refusing to reveal details about the deal, like what did it cost taxpayers? I'm wanting to know if there were many extra funds spent on this or not. If there weren't, that's fine. But I think we, we are entitled to an answer. 
The crisis management team was hired after Chief Neil Dubord's wife Lorraine was investigated for hosing down Surrey resident Kieran Sadu. It's assault. That head with the hose and turn the hose on. Global News made a freedom of information request for documents related to the PR firm's involvement. Delta Police wrote back acknowledging they have 19 related pages, but they refuse to disclose them, saying... A review of the records reveals that they contain commercial and financial information of a third party that was supplied in confidence and the disclosure of which could reasonably be expected to harm significantly the competitive position of the third party. As a result, the DPD must refuse to disclose the information. In a second letter, they told Global News... After consulting with the third party, the Delta Police Department has determined it appropriate to withhold the information contained in the responsive records. I will be asking our council if we can get some answers to these um, questions from a council point of view under our our purview um, to ensure that we are as I say, maintaining the highest standard we can. Those answers likely of interest to Delta taxpayers as well. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC's Court of Appeal has ordered a new trial for the man convicted of killing a Japanese student in Vancouver. William Victor Schneider was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 14 years for the second-degree murder of 30-year-old Natsumi Kogawa. Schneider filed an appeal to have his conviction overturned on the grounds the judge incorrectly answered a jury question and admitted statements attributed to Schneider without providing any reason. Kogawa's body was found stuffed in a suitcase at Vancouver's Gabriola Mansion in September of 2016. Police are being very tight-lipped about what they know in a horrific attack on a senior in her own home near Queen Elizabeth Park. In spite of a number of surveillance cameras in the area, they are not asking for the public's help or releasing pictures of the suspects. Our Sarah McDonald reports. With blood found in multiple places, the bathroom, the basement and a gate, the house where an elderly woman was brutalized early Sunday is still a crime scene. Her attackers still walking free. There was a home invasion and her hands were injured. Don't know why she let them in. Did they present themselves as being from the police? Is that why she opened the door? Did she know one of them? Questions neighbors like Dominique Robbins and the public are asking. With answers, only investigators, the perpetrators, and likely these surveillance cameras know. Is that not in the interest of public safety to release those images to the public? And why aren't you? So, as we can appreciate, um, this was a very traumatic, a very serious incident. And those are good questions. I'm sure the public has uh, a slew of questions that they have for us. So why not release surveillance footage of the suspects or even confirm it exists? Vancouver police believe the two men likely gained entry by posing as police, though they won't say how. We know they were impersonating police officers. Why won't you tell us if they were wearing a jacket? Again, I know, I know you want these answers. I know the public is dying to know. They just need to know that they presented themselves as police officers. Investigators won't say if they believe the victim was targeted, though neighbors had raised recent concerns about her living alone. In our footage, it looks like there were some people dropped off and picked up, but we don't know if that's the people. Laverna Constantini's cameras captured at least one vehicle in front of and behind the victim's house during the time the home invasion occurred. They knew when to come when people weren't out and about. 
it wouldn't surprise me if, if they knew a lot more about us than we're comfortable with. And it's possible police know a lot more about the suspects than they're revealing publicly as a citywide warning remains in effect. And the question remains, who'd do this to an innocent elderly woman still clinging to life in hospital? Sarah McDonald, Global News. Ottawa has inked a deal to produce a COVID-19 vaccine in Canada if the shot is approved. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the federal government has signed an agreement with Novavax. The U.S. pharmaceutical company submitted its vaccine to Health Canada for regulatory approval last week. If approved, the shots will be produced at the National Research Council of Canada's facilities in Montreal. This is a major step forward to get vaccines made in Canada for Canadians. To begin with, we've signed a memorandum of understanding with Novavax to produce their COVID-19 vaccines at the new NRC Royal Mount facility in Montreal. Pending Health Canada approval, tens of millions of Novavax COVID-19 doses will be made right here at home. At the same time, a Vancouver company is also getting funding from the federal government to start producing COVID-19 vaccine. Nanosystems is still a long way from delivering any shots. But as Nadia Stewart shows us, the experiences of the past year have proven a need for domestic vaccine production. Another big announcement for the BC-based company among those leading the way in domestic vaccine manufacturing. Prime Minister Trudeau announcing Tuesday Precision Nanosystems is the recipient of a 25.1 million contribution to help build a biomanufacturing center somewhere in the Lower Mainland. The vaccine that our company has um, is developing is a subclass of the RNA vaccines called self-amplifying RNA. and allows us to have a much higher signal, so you need a lower dose. And with that, we can manufacture more doses for a given volume. The hope is to have the new facility built and commissioned by March 2023, making them a strategic player in the supply chain, both nationally and globally. There is lots of reasons for us to have sovereign manufacturing here in Canada to control supply chain. But the more we can do as Canadians to participate in that, to contribute, and then to bring um, manufacturing back here will make us stronger. Precision Nanosystems is part of BC's life sciences sector, which is made up of 1,120 companies, employing over 17,000 people. But most of these companies are small or medium-sized, employing fewer than 50 people each. And for those doing research and testing, lab space is in short supply. In British Columbia right now, we have a critical shortage of labs. There is zero lab space available, and there is innovation that is getting stalled as a result of that. Life Sciences BC President Wendy Holbert says she's regularly approached by companies looking for a space to work in. We have been talking to the British Columbia government of uh, developing a proposal with multiple players to create that lab space for the smaller companies so that as they step out of academia and research institutions, they have a place to go to scale. Nadia Stork, Global News. More than 200 students and staff are now self-isolating after numerous COVID exposures at a Kamloops high school. There are 12 confirmed cases of the disease among the Sahali Secondary School community, nine students and three staff. A further 200 students and 18 staff members are self-isolating, but many more students are also choosing to stay home with only about 25% of the school's 900 students showing up for class. 
The Kamloops area has seen a recent spike in COVID-19 cases, with the latest public data showing 124 new cases during the week of January 17th to 23rd. All right, let's take a look at BC's COVID-19 numbers for today. We have 429 new cases. That means our total for the province is now 68,366. Sadly, we've had eight more deaths. So 1,218 people have now died from complications of the virus in BC. 294 people are in hospital, 82 in the ICU. 61,129 people are considered recovered. And we are now left with 4,000. 542 active cases and 7,080 people in self-isolation. Keith Baldry joins us live with more. Keith, there is buzz around the Super Bowl this weekend. Mm -hmm. Gatherings, as we know, are a no-no. Uh, health officials warning against parties, and the Premier was pretty adamant about that also today. Yeah, I think a lot of people still have on their minds the scenes we've seen in Whistler where you've got a big spike of cases there, largely associated with partying in restaurants and bars and condos. An example of just what the virus can do in those situations. Vancouver Coastal Health Authority, where Whistler is located, has been bending the curve until recently. You can see now, in terms of the active cases in Vancouver Coastal, how it compared to the beginning of the year. And I think you can attribute this growth rate uh, in large part to what's going on in Whistler. You see February 2nd today, uh, a little more than 1,000 181 active cases. That's 25% of the total. That's doubled now since January 1st. Not in terms of gross number, but in terms of the percentage of the overall active cases in the province. Vancouver Coastal is showing one of the biggest growth rates. Premier John Horgan using the opportunity today to remind people do not go to Super Bowl parties this year. They're essentially against the law. The guidance should, is that you shouldn't be having COVID uh, or Super Bowl celebrations this weekend. The, the public health orders are pretty clear on that. Uh, we encourage people to enjoy a, a football game at their home uh, with their bubble. That's uh, certainly my plan. And uh, this, is, this should come as no surprise to the sector. This is something we've been working on as a, as a community, as a province, for months and months. And we are starting to see case counts come down. We're starting to see progress, uh, not just here in British Columbia, but indeed across the country. This is all very, very good news, but we are not out of the woods yet. So we're going to see added enforcement and, uh, and inspection on Sunday as well. There's been meetings previously with the Restaurant Association and with individual restaurants and bars telling them you cannot have your traditional Super Bowl party this way. You can't sell tickets. You can't have an event. And for now, not forever, as Dr. Bonnie Henry says, but basically don't party at the Super Bowl with anyone outside your household. Well, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Keith, thank you. Yep, sure will. Well, there are concerns the loss of bus service on Vancouver Island could pose safety risks to people in remote communities. Wilson's group of companies is suspending its intercity bus service and may even shut it down entirely permanently due to COVID-19 losses. Tofino Bus and the Vancouver Island Connector are vital transportation links for the north and west coast of Vancouver Island. Revenue on the routes is down 95% since last March, and the service will not be resuming as planned mid-month. Full steam ahead for the Broadway subway line. Demolition has begun to make room for the new stations that will line the route. The work ahead, and how long until you can ride it? That's next on the News Hour. What a shock for a Mountie driving on a remote stretch of highway. What he hit that caused this kind of damage coming up on the News Hour. And why skate when you can sail? What this BC resident says about his video on a frozen lake and his biggest regret now that it's going viral. 
Right now, though, Canada Line commuters can breathe easy. A deal has been reached to prevent a strike. After nearly 40 hours of bargaining over the past few days, the employer, ProTrans BC, and the 180 workers belonging to the BC Government Employees Union have reached a tentative deal. Late last week, the union issued 72-hour strike notice and had been in a legal position to walk off the job as of Monday afternoon. The terms of the deal have not been disclosed and are still pending ratification, but the main points of contention had been wage parity with other unionized transit workers and sick leave issues. And it's another big step in the construction of the SkyTrain extension along Broadway in Vancouver. Crews have begun clearing sites for station entrances and clearing land for construction crews. Ted Trenecki shows us how the builder is trying to limit the disruption for neighbours. Before they can construct, they're going to have to destruct. TransLink has purchased 65 properties along the Broadway corridor, and today they started dismantling some of them to get access to where they want to build six new stations. It couldn't come at a better time in terms of uh, activating supply chains and creating jobs, 7,000 direct jobs on this project, 5,000 indirect jobs, and really to shape the future of Vancouver. The Millennium Line will continue on elevated track from the Vancouver Community College Station, west for about 700 metres, before descending underground near Great Northern Way. It'll head south for a bit, and then a straight line west to Mount Pleasant, Broadway City Hall, Oak Street and Vancouver General Hospital, Granville, and finally, to Arbutus. And those watching this project believe it really can open by 2025. A lot of work's actually been done behind the scenes that uh, people haven't noticed. Uh, Transink uh, moved the trolley bus wires. Um, right now we're looking at the consolidation of the construction site. So as much as we haven't seen shovels in the ground, there's actually been a significant amount of work done the last year to advance this project to help meet that five-year timeline. Some of the merchants who will be impacted by this project already lived through the Canada Line experience. A class action lawsuit is still before the courts. In 2007, the Canada Line was built in part with cut and cover technology. The minister says there'll be none of that this time. And we learned from the frustrations on the Canada Line. We have uh, sought to create a project that avoids all of that and that keeps businesses and commuters informed every step of the way. Of the six stations in development, some are very complex, like the one at Canby. There, Broadway needs to connect with a Canada line, and that means a lot of construction with significant building material stored nearby. But there's ways of minimizing that impact in terms of time duration and ensuring access to businesses. At the end of the day, we still it's in everyone's interest to keep Broadway as a functional corridor. The cost to extend the Millennium Line by 5.7 kilometers is estimated at $2.83 billion Canadian half a billion per kilometer. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Buyer beware if you shop on Amazon. It looked legitimate. The, everything on Amazon looked like it was the real deal. What happened after she realized she bought a bogus product? That's coming up. Also, BC loses a pioneer in the farming industry. The incredible accomplishments of Charon Gill later. Traffic is steady over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Not so for the east-west connector, which is still recovering from an earlier crash. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $25 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Chewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
Online shopping has exploded during the pandemic, but one lower mainland woman is warning you don't always get what you pay for on Amazon. She found out the product she bought was a fake when it broke down. And Consumer Matters reporter Andrea joins us now with the story of what happened when the woman tried to return it. And well, Sophie, the Lower Mainland resident purchased a high-tech massage gun on Amazon, which was worth hundreds of dollars. But after less than a year, the device, as you mentioned, stopped working. She was shocked to find out it was counterfeit, but even more surprised by the treatment she received from Amazon until Consumer Matters got involved. It looked like the authentic product, so I was very happy with it. That was Lisa Chris Manson's first impression when she purchased this high-tech massage gun. Back in July of 2019, she bought this Hyper-Ice, Hyper-Volt cordless handheld massager on Amazon for just under $500. It looked legitimate. The, everything on Amazon looked like it was the real deal. And once delivered, it looked authentic. It came in a great package, and then I opened it up and used it, and it was actually, it was really good. Until it stopped working, she says, about nine months later. All of a sudden, yeah, the smoke did start coming out of the top of it, so I thought, well, I, you know, I don't want it to burn up, so I just turned it off and put it away, and then tried it again, and it just fully did not work. Lisa says the item was under warranty, but when she reached out to the official Canadian distributor of the massage gun to have it repaired, she was told her massager she purchased on Amazon was a fake. The serial numbers on the bottom of the battery proved the item was counterfeit. So that was their giveaway. Legitimate Hypervolts have a four-digit serial number that end in the year they were manufactured. Lisa was also told by the distributor the third-party seller that sold her the product on Amazon was not a valid reseller. I was surprised. But Lisa was more surprised, she says, when Amazon wouldn't give her a refund despite the product being counterfeit. They just told me, sorry, there's nothing we can do. Amazon offers what's called an A to Z guarantee, up to 90 days to protect customers when items are sold and fulfilled by a third-party seller. Amazon claims the initial delay in refunding Lisa was that her request came more than nine months after she had purchased the product. Still, once Consumer Matters reached out to Amazon on Lisa's behalf, she received a full refund. In a statement, Amazon telling Consumer Matters... The seller involved in this transaction was removed by Amazon in August 2019. We have refunded the customer for the full purchase amount. Any kind of marketplace where uh, there's a tendency for specific brands to be popular, there's a chance they're going to get knocked off. This retail analyst says it's buyer beware when shopping online. But if you start seeing third-party sellers uh, treat it like you would if you saw it on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. You, you, you really don't for sure know what you're getting. It's a lesson Lisa says she's learned the hard way as she puts this latest online shopping nightmare behind her. Now, if you do shop online with Amazon, retail experts suggest looking at the shopping cart upon checkout. Find out who's made the product and more importantly, who's selling it and shipping the product. Make sure it's legitimate. You want to shop with brands and sellers you recognize and trust. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good right. result. Thanks very much, Ann. Still ahead, a better way to learn about black history. How the pandemic inspired parents and educators to create a school with a difference. Also tonight, paramedics on the front line of the pandemic and the unique risks they face.
Traffic is steady over here on Highway 99 through Richmond to and from the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind, overnight lane closures for roadworks south of the tunnel on the Delta side near Ladner Trunk. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $25 million. Lotto Max, stream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. At the public inquiry into B.C. money laundering, the person in charge of the B.C. Lottery Corporation's security and compliance testified he had doubts that suspicious stacks of $20 bills were actually criminal in nature. BCLC's current chief operating officer told the Cullen Commission his own experience as a police officer made him look for other explanations for bags filled with bundles of $20 bills coming into B.C. casinos. It includes people bringing Canadian currency across the border and through airports. But when one of his own BCLC investigators told him border officials said that was unlikely, Demeray chose not to believe him. They also told you that CBSA have confirmed that Canadian dollars does not arrive at the airport to the extent suggested. You recall receiving that email from Mr. Hiller in February of 2013? I recall reading that email, but that was not my experience. So you disagreed with Mr. Hiller? I did disagree with Mr. Hiller. The Cullen Commission was presented documentation that showed Demaray often pointed to other explanations for suspicious cash. And his belief traditional methods of money laundering was not occurring in B.C. casinos. Demaray acknowledges he did not clearly state the possibility of criminal money lenders using high rollers to facilitate proceeds of crime being laundered in casinos. A pillar of B.C.'s South Asian community, human rights and labor pioneer Charun Gill has died. Gill came to Canada from India while in his 20s after a brief stint working at a mill in Williams Lake. He was hired as a social worker. Gill went on to found the Canadian Farm Workers Union in 1978, co-found the British Columbia Organization to Fight Racism in 1981. And in 1987, he started Progressive Intercultural Community Services, or PICS, which he ran until 2017. He was recognized for his work with the Order of BC and a BC Human Rights Award, among many other honors. In a statement, Gill's family says after a long battle with cancer, he passed away peacefully at Langley Memorial Hospital in the presence of his family. Charun Gill was 84. It is Black History Month in Canada, and tonight the story of a group of parents who created a unique program to make up for the shortcomings and lack of diversity they saw in the public school system. Thanks to COVID-inspired home learning, they've been able to address the lack of black representation in the public school curriculum by creating their own school. Michael Newman shows us how it works. When this group of Vancouver families started hosting small gatherings at a park this summer, their only goal was to connect their kids to Afrocentric and Indigenous artists in the community. But when school started, and with it the option of learning from home due to the pandemic, the group realized that they might have the opportunity to create something more. We thought, you know, we can turn this into structuring a school that, that fits our children's needs more and, and raises our children's voices more and, and represents our children and who they are better. With that spirit, the families banded together to create ARC Community School, a place of learning where their kids could be curious and reflected in their uniqueness. In this setting that we've created for our kids, it's, it's a safe space for them to be themselves and to thrive, and especially um, in a space of diversity. The three pillars of the school are creative expression through the arts, rootedness in a connection to the land and nature, 
and empowering cultural literacy by prioritizing the stories and voices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, something they all felt was lacking in public schools. If my kid can't see himself in the literature, there's a disconnect. You know, how can he see himself to be something if he doesn't see it in his teachers, in the books, in the handouts, you know? So for me, it was like, I really wanted him to be in a situation that he's surrounded by, you know, representation. Facilitated by two teachers and constant parent involvement, the kids are engaged in dynamic hands-on learning environments, including frequent collaboration with community members. And in just a few months since they started, they are already seeing the kids develop in unexpected ways. I'm seeing a lot of emotional growth in terms of um, connection and, uh, you know, family kind of vibes. And um, what that does is it brings forth more of a community kind of awareness, you know, so they're mindful about what's going on around them, not just with themselves. And while the group says it's a hustle to fund and organize their kids' education on their own, as they seek partnerships and grants, they're deeply motivated to create the change they want to see, not only for their kids, but for the community as a whole. I think there's a real opportunity to, like, let what we're doing help, like, nurture our community as well as ourselves and our learners and other other uh, families and children that we come to contact with. Michael Newman, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a UBC scientist has launched a new study of COVID-19 risk factors for the healthcare workers who are often the first people to see patients and the first at risk of contracting the virus. The study will focus on paramedics, hoping to discover new information that will better protect them in the future. Linda Aylesworth reports. There's always a personal risk when working with people who are ill. First thing, we'll wash our hands with the sanitizer. Paramedics know that when they sign up. But COVID-19 has upped the ante. In cases where we're concerned that there might be COVID present, so patients with fever or shortness of breath, we wear isolation gowns and we also wear reusable respirators. So far, the precautions have worked well. Out of 4,000 BC paramedics, roughly 40 have contracted COVID-19 none of them on the job. Even so. This research is really to help define the risks incurred by performing these procedures, and then also to define the best methods of protecting paramedics. The study out of UBC and St. Paul's Hospital hopes to recruit 3,000 BC paramedics who will undergo several blood tests to look for antibodies created either because they were exposed to COVID-19 or were vaccinated against it. We're going to be testing paramedics at three time periods over a one-year period to see if these antibodies are still persistent six months and one year after the original test. They'll also complete surveys outlining the kinds of procedures they perform on the job. We're hoping to learn about which procedures paramedics perform which incur the greatest risk and which protective equipment is the best at mitigating or removing those risks. Unfortunately, uh, a second pandemic or another pandemic in the future is likely and I I'd like uh, the results to be able to inform how we're going to stay safe during that pandemic too. Just dealing with a walk-up patient of maybe cardiac nature. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Still ahead, Hollywood's favorite imposter city. I see industrial Detroit with the train tracks. Metro Vancouver's reputation as a cinematic chameleon. Always in the movies, but never playing itself. And like a scene from Mary Poppins, the lazy skater of Revelstoke goes viral. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
An important reminder from RCMP following a serious crash just outside of Hudson's Hope. Take a look at the damage. Corporal Rob Gardner says he was on routine patrols Sunday evening when suddenly two moose crossed the highway in front of his vehicle. At least one of the moose hit the cruiser. The officer suffered some cuts from broken glass but was otherwise okay. His door was jammed, but when he managed to get out, both moose were gone. Gardner says the incident shows the damage a crash with wildlife can cause and how drivers should be prepared with warm clothing just in case they are stuck on the highway for hours. Says the moose just walked away, though, so... The moose is okay, hopefully. The moose is okay. Mm -hmm. The cruiser, not so much. All right, let's uh, check in quickly with Christy here. It was like Blade Runner rain when I was driving home last night. It's been like that overnight a few <laughs> nights, too. No. Uh, let's hope we get some sunshine soon, no. Christy. We do. We have some sunshine in store for us tomorrow. It's not a bad week that uh, we're shaping up. Uh, so, But there is one day that I need to point out, that's for sure. But as you said, four days of rain and it came down hard at times. Uh, it's Groundhog Day, so I thought I'd let you know, though, what the groundhogs think about an early spring. All of them across Canada reporting an early spring. And I have to admit, when I saw this, I kind of got a little excited, despite the fact that I do not believe in their predictions. But nonetheless, that's pretty cool. So here's Environment Canada's seasonal forecast, looking at February, March, and April. Keep in mind, this is an average throughout that time period. But overall, they're expecting below normal temperatures in the north and near normal conditions across the south so that means we still have the potential for winter everyone and in terms of pre precipitation we're expecting above normal precipitation and bear in mind these long-range forecasts have a low accuracy rate but what we do know is winter is does is not officially here until March 20th and in the meantime we've got significant snow on the way come Thursday for most inland regions so this is thir Thursday snowfall amounts caribou central interior regions will get hit hardest. We're talking about up to 15 centimeters, lighter amounts further south. In the meantime, enjoy the sunshine tomorrow. We will see that in most parts of the province, especially here across the south coast. A cool start to the day and we'll see some fog patches, but otherwise sunny and highs reaching about five or six degrees. It's Thursday that I wanted to point out. That's when we could certainly see snow on all the mountain passes and rainfall here, but it looks like we clear out after that. And here's tonight's central windows weather window from Haida Gwaii. Thank you to uh, Ben for that one. Beautiful winter sunset kayak. Lovely. Thanks, Christy. Video is surfacing of a very Mary Poppins style moment on a frozen BC lake last month. That's Devin Jensen maximizing wind power on Three Valley Lake near Revelstoke. Jensen and some friends were playing hockey on the ice in late January when they realized how easy it was to glide downwind without moving their feet. His buddy grabbed an umbrella from the car and they tried it out to pick up speed. Turns out channeling Mary Poppins was a smooth move. Jensen says he's never seen the lake like this in his more than 30 years in Revelstoke. I don't know if I'll see the lake freeze over like that in my lifetime. It's never happened before, and I've lived here since the late 80s, and um, it was a really special day. It was a lot of fun. My only regret is earlier I had my, my 1980s Canucks jersey on, but it got cold, so I put my jacket on. So for sure, more people could have seen my Canucks jersey. Was that flying Which one? the Canucks jersey? <laughs> I, I missed is what Canuck, year he said. Can, he, 
Yeah, did he say the year? I don't know. He just he said 80. Just I'm guessing yeah. probably oh, okay. the V's is my guess. It looked orangish under his jacket. Would he be wearing it proudly tonight, Squire? Uh, no. Uh, but I will say this. That kind of reminds me, speaking of Canucks, when Pavel Bure first joined the Canucks, there was video of him skating at practice. I think whoever he was practicing with, maybe his father, and he had a parachute on his back. Mm-hmm. Oh. So he would learn to go faster and faster with the parachute Fun. on his back. Anyway. Uh, okay. I don't know what it is, but Foley is really getting the Canucks back for not re-signing him. Tyler Toffoli with a drag move. Now on the backhand. Hit the post. No, it's in. Yep. And another win for Montreal over Vancouver. Also coming up later, a Hollywood location scout who sees things around here a lot differently than most people. Why Metro Vancouver is such a good stand-in for many other great cities in the movies. Did you miss me, Squire? I did. <laughs> we all did. It was a long time. <laughs> two it weeks in like, a day. No, it felt like longer than two weeks. I'm serious. It felt like months, <laughs> years, really. Decades. <laughs> I'll never go away again until Friday. Uh, centuries. It felt like all of that. Uh, this current run of futility against the Montreal Canadiens probably reminds a lot of older, or should I say experienced Canuck fans of the 1970s when... They could never beat Montreal. Those were the days when the Habs were a powerhouse and Vancouver was in its first decade of existence. And the games against the Habs back then were uglier than the wide leg pants and high-heeled shoes most of the fans were wearing. Hasn't been much prettier this year. Hey, Shea Weber's 1,000th game. The Sycamus lad, there's his kids writing signs for him. Happy 1,000, Dad. Uh, Josh Anderson, whom uh, the uh, Canadians acquired in the offseason, bit of a lucky bounce there. Thatcher Demko in goal for the Canucks. Beats Chatfield to the puck, and it's 1-0 for Montreal. Then, oh, that's another Canuck giveaway. This time, Brandon Sutter's the uh, culprit. Tip-in shot, and it's Josh Anderson again. So it's 2-0 for Montreal over the Canucks. Here's a power play for the Habs, and Thatcher Demko, nice save off Corey Perry. He actually would make another nice save in that sequence as well. And that led to the Canucks killing that penalty off and then scoring their first goal of the game as the puck starts bouncing the right way for them, and Antoine Roussel puts one in. 2-1. Now Tyler Toffoli. As we said before the break, he must be really upset he's not playing in Vancouver. He said in the offseason he wanted to stay here. He has now scored, I think, eight goals against Vancouver this year. Tips that one in and then gets loose here. And watch the move on Jordy Ben. Whoops. Toe drag. Backhand. In. One more look. And this actually proved to be the winning goal for Montreal. 4-1 at that point. Early in the third, the Canucks had a power play. And this is what all Canuck fans want to see. And Elias Pettersson shot like that, finding the back of the net. There'll be two goals in the final minute. 5-3 the final. Canucks are in Toronto for three starting Thursday. The uh, Vancouver Whitecaps have let winger David Malinkovic out of his contract after being here for just a year. He apparently wants to go back to Europe, where his family is. Malinkovic was actually 
one of the better players for the Whitecaps last year, but uh, new signing Diver Caicedo will be expected to make us forget about Milinkovic on the wing. Fred Van Vliet, of all the great players the Raptors have had, and they've had quite a list, none scored in one game as many as Fred Van Vliet did tonight against Orlando. He went 11 for 14 from outside the arc, and when all was said and done, Freddie Van Vliet had scored 54. 52 was the old record by DeMar DeRozan. The record now belongs to Fred. And speaking of records, in the Premier League today, Manchester United was facing Southampton. Southampton got a red card in the second minute, and Manchester United made them pay nine times. Marcus Rashford with that goal. Edinson Cavani with this goal. That made it 4-0. This would tie the largest win in Premier League history. This is a goal by uh, Scott McTominay. That made it 6-0. Even in the final seconds, when the game was clearly over at 8-0, Manchester United was not finished scoring. Daniel James, 9-0. The final for Man U over Southampton. I know. This could be tough. You think the Canucks losing to Montreal was ugly? What about that? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Thanks, Squire. All right, let's check in with Jade Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. JD? Thank you very much. Sophie, RCMP and the Comox Valley are putting out an urgent public appeal this evening. They received reports late this afternoon of a woman calling for help from the passenger seat of a vehicle being driven in the area of Lockwell Road and Fraser Road in Courtney. The vehicle is described as a grey Chrysler sedan. We also have details on a hit and run in Burnaby that left a man unconscious in a ditch. You just got off a bus. Those stories and a lot more when you join us tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris. All right. Thanks, Jay. All right. And when we come back, how the North Shore Mountains showed up in a movie set in New York City. It can happen sometimes. That's next with Squire. Yeah, go ahead. We know Vancouver has a big talent pool for Hollywood North, but it's not just the humans who huh. attract productions up here, Squire. No, we were saying this in the break. If you sat and watched TV or Netflix for 24 straight hours, you would run into our city and our province numerous times. And if you stuck around for the commercials, how many car commercials do we see where cars are either driving on the sea to sky or through this city? This city, as someone so wisely said on an internet uh, video once, never plays itself. Tanya Hartz is a location scout, so she sees places in the Lower Mainland much differently than you or I. For example, the New Westminster waterfront. I see industrial Detroit with the train tracks. If we only shot on one side of Front Street, these incredible um, character buildings, uh, we could turn that into anything because it's such a timeless look. And that's the thing about the Vancouver area. To producers and location scouts, it's a cinematic chameleon. The city itself can really play any role as far as a city. It can cheat as an American city. It can cheat as a lot of international cities. Like the Trade and Convention Center becoming Mumbai in Mission Impossible 4. We see us in everything. 
superheroes fighting on the Georgia Viaduct, or running under the Lionsgate Bridge, or the Lionsgate Bridge just falling down. And wait a minute, why are the North Shore Mountains in a movie set in New York City? Whatever the case, the recognition factor goes beyond the borders of Vancouver. The film industry is spreading out, which is fantastic, creating revenues up in Okanagan, up in Kamloops, up Vancouver Island North, South. Um, film studios are opening up uh, all over. You know, we have uh, more than enough film days to go around. If there is a particular look that the city of Vancouver can't accommodate um, or we're just at capacity, you know, I can lean on my neighbours and say, hey, can, can you take this on? And, and quite often they do. And while we think of Vancouver as the heart of Hollywood North, there is an area outside of the city that is very popular with producers and location scouts. I would say New Westminster. Yeah, I would say Front Street, Columbia Street. Which, like everywhere else in BC, can be turned into someplace else. We had a show um, with Mark Wahlberg's shooter. It was meant to be Philadelphia and went off uh, the end of the road into the Fraser River, which was meant to be the Delaware. The creative talent in the BC film industry can do anything. My favorite part of that shooter is yeah. when the car goes in, they obviously put in a CGI bridge from Philadelphia, but when you see it in the water, now you see the Patella Bridge behind it. Right, but a little lazy on the editing side, <laughs> exactly. the CGI side of things there. you got to watch these shows very closely. Yeah. And I feel like I did just spend 24 hours watching Netflix while I was on vacation. Yeah, good to have you back. <laughs> All right, final word on the weather from Christy. Sure. Enjoy the sunshine. It'll be a chilly start to the day, but lots of nice weather on the way other than Thursday. All right. Thank you, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.